everyone, and welcome. Uh, I hope you guys had a restful night and uh, hopefully something delicious for breakfast this morning and are ready to start the day. We have a beautiful day today. Um, it looks like the weather is getting nicer and nicer as we get into the weekend, so uh, I think we're going to have a spectacular day here at Creation Fest. Uh, my name is James Weiners and I'm managing our showcase stage here and uh, we have a wonderful start to the morning. We have Claire Walker um, and we are going to be talking about radical hospitality. Uh, we have certainly had to relearn what that looks like this year with uh, our pandemic and finding out how to uh, be social with people without uh, necessarily getting to see them face to face. And now as we are moving into uh, our post-pandemic life, uh, I think nothing could be quite as apt as talking about hospitality and reaching out to other people uh, around us with the love of Christ. So here is Claire Walker. Good morning. Um, just uh, out of interest, it would be really interesting to know who's in the room today. So is anyone here a foster carer? No foster carers? Adopters? Any adoptive families? Ah, oh, well done. Good morning. It's lovely to see you. Uh, any, any health and children's work professionals? Any social workers? Oh, that's a relief. Do you know? Well, <laughs> I am always on edge at that moment because I know that everything I say is going to be really analysed so I can just breathe a little easy here. Um, thank you so much for being here this morning to hear about creating communities of radical hospitality. Um, my name's Claire Walker and I work for a charity called Home for Good. I lead the work in the southwest. Um, I don't know if any of you are Greek scholars and know this word, but... Um, this word is translated as hospitality. And I'll be talking a little bit more about it in a moment, but perhaps if you could turn to someone next to you and share with them, what's the, what's the most welcoming, hospitable thing that anyone has ever done for you? What's the, the most lovely thing, unexpected gift of hospitality that anyone has ever shown to you? So just two moments. It's really interesting that as I'm seeing you telling those stories, I'm seeing smiles on your faces because hospitality is a really beautiful thing. But sometimes we mistake its meaning. We think that hospitality is about um, inviting our friends around for a meal or the people that we know doing something nice for them. But that uh, second part of the word, xenia, you may recognize from the word xenophobic, and it's the other, the stranger. And the actual translation of this word, philoxenia, is unaccountable, inexplicable love for the other, for the person who isn't part of our tribe, the person we don't know, the person that we, we don't understand. 
And it's that hospitality that I'm going to be talking about today. The hospitality where we welcome the other, the stranger, and we welcome them so that they become wholeheartedly part of our family. Let me tell you a little bit about Home for Good. We are a UK-wide charity that's dedicated to finding a home for every child that needs one. We recognize that that will look different for different families, and so we don't come down on one side or the other about fostering or adoption, because we know that for every child, a different solution will be needed. And so for some children, it will be absolutely right that they maintain links with their birth family throughout their lives and that long-term or short-term fostering will be the right route for their permanent care. But for other children, they will value and be blessed by the stability of the permanence of adoption to know that they have been completely and totally welcomed into a family. So we don't come down on one side or the other. We are passionate about inspiring churches to talk about this radical hospitality that fostering and adoption can, can uh, give. And, and we know that that will be transformational, not just for society, because if every child who has the instability of not being able to grow up with their birth family has a family wrapped around them, that will change what happens for their lives as grown-ups. But also, it will be uh, church transforming. Because in order to be truly welcoming to these young people who have experienced trauma in their early lives, our church communities are going to have to become different places to be able to welcome them, to accept trauma-informed behavior without any tuts or rolling of eyes to really become places of love and welcome. Let me tell you a little bit about what's happening. From when we wake up this morning to when we go to bed, 109 children will come into care in the UK. That's 40,000 children a year. That's one child every 14 minutes. And I think that's really shocking. And I think it's shocking that we're not talking about that very much in society. And we're not talking about that hardly at all in our churches. There are a few churches which are really awesome at this, by the way. So if you know your church is really awesome at this, please don't think that I am criticizing everyone. That's not the case. Our aim is to inspire this to be a hot potato, a topic that can't be ignored in every church in the UK. We know that over tens are the fastest growing cohort in the care system. We know that in Cornwall, of the 478 children that are currently in the care of the local authority, half of them are teenagers. There are some really awesome works going on from churches. Yesterday I was hearing about a church in Newquay that is uh, looking after 16 and 17-year-olds by giving them supported lodgings. Really exciting things that are happening. Those 478 children, 10% of them are 17 years old. Now, I don't know how many of you have uh, recently been teenagers or can remember being teenagers. I've got a 19 and 21-year-old sons. They are amazing. They're independent. They're confident young men. But they still pick up the phone to say, Mom, how do I fill out this passport application? Mom, the lights come on on the car and I don't know what it means. 
Young people need to know they've got a family wrapped around them when they become young adults. They need to not be aging out of care. Our founder, Krish, had an expression that you can age out of care, but you can't age out of family. Family just hangs around. Family picks up the phone and says, I've not heard from you for a couple of days. You okay? And that's what we need to create, communities where there are people who will keep picking up the phone to those teenagers and young people when they have aged out of care because it's family and family keeps on caring, family keeps on noticing. Um, I've just told you a little bit about the stats of Cornwall. There's this misconception about what happens to children in care and the really sad um, stat is that once children are aged about four years, most people are not interested in adoption. Most people who want to adopt want to adopt younger children. And I'm being really careful with the words most because Christians are really challenging that trend. We're seeing a lot of Christians who are saying, I'm not adopting for me. This isn't about my personal happiness. I'm adopting because I know there are children that need homes. I know there are children that need that stability, that love around them. 80% of children that come into care will need foster homes, not adoption. And that's because they perhaps built great relationships with their birth families, even if it's not safe for them to grow up with them. Or, or they are older than most people would want to adopt. And the children at Home for Good that we are really passionate about supporting are the children who are over four years old, the children who are from ethnic and black uh, minority groups, because if you are a black boy growing up in the UK, you are going to wait four times longer than any other group to be adopted. And in fact, you may carry on waiting all through your childhood for someone who will adopt you and welcome you into their family. The average wait time from when a child is, uh, the, the courts decide the best solution for a child is adoption to being adopted is 18 months. So that's not this summer holiday, but it's next summer holiday as well. And you can imagine, we've been talking about the effect of the pandemic on children's lives, how much uh, uh, their school they've missed and interaction they've missed. Imagine that amount of time, you know that you're waiting for a family that will welcome you and be your permanent loving family and the effect that that has on children. So we need to find a way of welcoming children and giving them that stability more quickly. The other two groups that we're really passionate about are children with additional needs and children in sibling groups. Every local authority that I'm working across the southwest is desperate to find foster carers, long-term foster carers, adopters for children in sibling groups. And I don't know if I would ask you to put your hand up if you've got brothers or sisters. How many of you have got brothers or sisters? It's usually the majority in the room, yeah. And that's no different for children who come into care. Um, they want to stay with the brothers and sisters. They don't want to be split up. So we need to raise up people who are willing to welcome sibling groups. Uh, because there are some scary stats about what happened to young people who've aged out of care without a family wrapped around them. We know that 30% um, of the homeless population in the UK are care experienced and that about half of young men who are in the youth criminal justice system were in care 
And this one I find really upsetting. Depending on where you are in the UK, between 30 and 70% of young women who are engaged in the sex industry were in care. Now, I think that the church does an astounding, awesome, wonderful job at stepping into vulnerable adults' lives. You know, there are so many ministries that are reaching these young people. And I think they need to continue, and we need to pray for those people, and we need to honor anyone who is stepping into homeless shelters, food banks, uh, working with young women with addiction and uh, in the sex industry. But if we are only doing that and not recognizing some of the reasons why people end up needing that support, then we're not really gonna ever tackle the root cause. So we're looking for churches that will step in to children's lives when they're really young. You know, we need to be grabbing people, to give the analogy, before they fall off the waterfall as adults. But we also need to be stepping in further upstream so that they don't actually end up falling off the waterfall in the first place. And so this comes back to this philoxenia. It comes back to the unaccountable love for the stranger. We know throughout history, the church has been known as a place of great radical hospitality. It's been part of our DNA that the church has always been the place where those that society pushes to one side are welcomed. And that's what we need to carry on doing. We just need to look for what is the current need and not only just the high-level needs, we need to look for, for the quieter ones. And I think sometimes churches are not talking enough about the fact that there, we have got 100,000 children who are currently in the care of the local authority, the government, because their birth families can't keep them safe. And so we need to be talking about this. We need to be inspiring our churches to be preaching on Psalm 68, on Isaiah 1, to encourage our churches to be thinking about what would it look like if we were a community of radical hospitality. Um, I wanted to tell you a little bit about Brave. This mug represents two people I've had the honor to get to know in Bristol. And their story is a story of radical hospitality, but it's also a story of Christians challenging the norms. These are two people who expected that by their mid-30s, they would have met someone and married and had birth children, and yet it didn't happen. And so they shared a house together, really good friends, uh, but it is a platonic friendship. And actually, if they were a same-sex couple, the local authority would have got their request. But they're not. They're two friends who are doing life together. And they've asked to foster together. And that really was challenging for the local authority. The idea of two friends who weren't a couple, but were committed to each other, faith-inspired, wanting to foster, was a really new and radical idea for the social work assessment team to grasp. I'm pleased to tell you they were approved as foster carers. And the reason they share a house together is because neither of them earn the income 
to be able to rent a house big enough to foster otherwise. And so they do life together in order to be able to live in a house big enough to be able to have a spare room to foster. April of 2019, I was working in the Bristol offices and I heard the social workers working through their list of available foster carers because that morning a sibling group of four had gone to school but they couldn't go home. It wouldn't be safe for them to do that. And so they were trying to find anyone who could take these children and keep them safe on the last day of term before the Easter holidays. And I went home praying and heartaching about these four children. A couple of weeks later, at an event that I was running, I heard that this couple had welcomed these children. And not only had they welcomed them, they didn't have space, by the way. One of them slept in the conservatory for the whole of the Easter holiday, so there was enough space in the house for the children to have beds for the holiday. They took them camping. These four children had never been on holiday before. They'd never camped before. They'd never been to the seaside before. But these wonderful people took them. I could tell you far more. But that challenging of the stereotypes about who can and can't foster and adopt has carried on because they couldn't keep the four together, but they committed to keep them in contact. And uh, these two fabulous people have now adopted the two younger children and they are committed to regularly helping them keep in contact with their older siblings. So this is a sibling group that is not broken. The relationship will not end at a point of coming into care because their adoptive families have committed to keeping them in contact. That's radical hospitality, isn't it? Because that's painful. You know, there is always a kickback when children have spent time with their family. It's upsetting for them. But actually, the adults in that life have committed to be the ones who will bear that pain and deal with that struggle, not the children. When I took this job, my husband said to me, you are not to make people feel guilty. And I think that's a really important thing to say because these kind of presentations can be really guilt-inducing. I know I sit through them going, I don't do enough. My message is we have all got a role, but very few of us are personally called to be foster carers adopters in our churches. We have all got a role to wrap around those astounding, amazing people who do. So I think we can all commit to pray and give. We can all commit to pray for the foster carers, the adopters in our churches. Pray for the social workers in our churches. Hey, let's even pray for the foster carers and adopters and social workers who aren't in our churches. Let's make those positions of honor. The burnout rate from qualification to leaving the profession for a social worker is about eight years. I have yet to meet a social worker who is not passionate about what they do work exceedingly long hours. That's not how they're portrayed in the media. That's not how we speak of them. And so I think we have a place to speak of them of honor and actually pray for them and make it a place of honor in our churches to be a social worker. I think we can work hard to make our churches places of welcome and at Home for Good, we create resources to train children's and youth leaders. In fact, we can train the whole church. 
We can train groups of clergy to have an awareness of what it is to be care experienced, what trauma-informed behaviour might look like, and what we might need to change in our churches if we are really meaning that we are going to be welcoming. One of my colleagues has a son who runs circuits around the church building all through the service. Are we ready as churches to be places where that happens? Some places are. For others, that is going to be a radical shift of our love and of our understanding of behaviours. Some of us may end up supporting foster carers and adopters personally. That won't necessarily mean looking after their children. It might mean cutting their hedges. It might mean finding out what cake they like, not presuming, and baking it for them regularly. It might mean walking the dog for a fostering family on the day that they have family contact because that's just one added stress for them that you can take away. Ask, how can I help? Some people might get um, approved to be able to be respite support or babysitting, but that's only a very few people. But actually, we can all do something. Invite children to birthday parties. The number of fostered and adopted children who are excluded from birthday parties of their classmates because parents don't understand the behaviours that they see and are frightened by them. There is so much work we've got to do. Just before I came to this job, I was a primary school teacher and I had to explain to my class why I was leaving. Context, the class I was teaching was in my village and they'd all been in my toddler group and I'd held them all as babies. So as I was telling them, I was crying because the idea of leaving them was really hard. But they asked me so many questions about why I was gonna do this job and I realized nobody had ever talked to them. They were nine and 10 years old. No one had ever talked to them about why children come into care and what care looks like. And we do our children a disservice because how can we expect classmates to look after each other if they don't understand? How can we help them? So I think in schools we've got to work to do, but that isn't my role, that's someone else's. I think if we do the red, yellow and blue bits well in our churches, then people will feel it's safe to explore fostering adoption. They'll know that they will be supported, that they'll be prayed for, that they will be um, understood in what they're doing, and then people will feel that it's something that they can explore. So I've got three asks for you this morning. My asks are, please would you get your church involved? If your church has never ever talked about fostering or adoption, would you please point them towards our Mothering Sunday resources, our Father's Day resources, show them our website, tell them that I love coming and speaking to churches. Would you consider supporting us? We're a charity, I have to ask this, okay? Uh, the regular low amount donations are our bread and butter, and they mean that we can take opportunities when they come our way without having the wraparound of, you know, this money is specifically for this. So if you can do nothing else today, you know, would you consider becoming a regular donor? And the other ask is, I have a vision for every church in the Southwest 
to have a champion, someone who doesn't let the rest of the church forget that there are children who need homes, there are children who need support. So there's a really easy way you can do that. Either on the postcard that's here, uh, fill that in, and all that does is, is to link you to us for an email journey. There is no hard sell. There'll be nobody contacting you saying, you. so you're going to be a foster carer? That's not how it works. It's just an email journey to connect with us. Um, and it usually links back to me. So if, if that's something that you think you could do today to link up with us if you're not already, please could you fill that out and either do it through the QR code or if you fill the card in, could you just write on it what, what it is you'd like me to talk to you more about? You know, is it that you'd like to know more about fostering adoption? Or is it actually that your church is a church that you'd like to connect with us? And there are two other bits on your chairs. Um, one's our magazine, which will give you a flavor of what's going on across the UK. And the other one is just about what's happening in the Southwest. Um, I will take some questions if you'd like to ask them in a moment, but Bishop Philip has very kindly agreed to come and say a few words about, uh, well, I don't know, I'll, I'll, listen, I'll listen and hear what he has to say. You, you can comment, Claire, whether I've been uh, faithful to my brief or not uh, afterwards. Um, I, I'm, I'm really pleased to be here today and to support the work, for, uh, work of Home for Good, because I do think it is, it is really, really important. And for reasons that I'll explain later on, I do think this is a, you know, this is a real gospel issue. This is a profound, profoundly gospel issue. But let me start by telling you about uh, my friends, um, Ruth and Ralph, who adopted four children in one go, which was quite some ask. And I remember Ruth telling us uh, the story of going to buy um, swimming costumes for their four children. The children were very excited by this. And she said, she said, well, look, we can't go swimming for a bit, but you can wear these for bath time tonight. So they were excited about that. So they put their swimming costumes on. And uh, when Ruth went in to the bathroom to see what was going on, she realized that although they put their swimming costumes on, they'd taken them off before they went into the bath because they had no idea that they were allowed to get these clothes wet. Now, that, that's kind of amusing, but it's very, very sad, isn't it? Just no experience that, you know, we would take that experience as that understanding as absolutely normal. It was completely outside their understanding. That was the kind of the, just a, 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 an indication of the, the kind of deprivation these children had, um, had suffered. I do think, you know, we live at the moment in a very unkind age. You go onto uh, social media and there's all sorts of viciousness and unpleasantness and vitriol and barbed attacks and that's just the church stuff. Uh, we do live in an unkind age and, um, you know, I think we need to stand for something different. I used to work for an organization called Church Mission Society and I was in Bolivia around the time of the last uh, American election. Not the last, the last but one actually, 2016. There was an awful lot of talk about the building of walls and keeping people out and all the rest of it. And I was in Bolivia, I was watching mission project after mission project um, where 
people with HIV AIDS were being cared for, where people with addiction were being cared for, uh, where children who were on the streets uh, or had been on the streets were being cared for. And I was really, really struck um, by that contrast, uh, by these projects time and time again, which was simply expressing an immense depth of, um, of, of kindness. And you know, I think one of the things that's, that's really encouraged me in recent years, if there's been a kind of, um, if I can put it this way, if there's been a sound that I have heard in this country um, time and time again, it's the sound of the people of God rolling their sleeves up and getting engaged in all kinds of issues that make a difference to people who are vulnerable and on the margins, whether that's running dementia cafes or doing debt counseling or, or street pastoring, um, whatever it is, you, you'll be able to think of plenty, plenty of examples of your own. And I think that's really impressive. And, and, and it is, I think it's a significant change, actually. Uh, once upon a time, uh, Christians, particularly more conservative evangelical Christians, were quite cherry about stuff like that. We've got over that, and I think that is, that is immensely encouraging. Um, that that is, uh, that is the case. Now, I don't want to draw an unfair comparison, but actually a lot of the stuff that, uh, that we are engaged in is something that we can pick up and then we can put down. I think one of the astonishing things about what my friends Ruth and Ralph did about fostering and adoption is it isn't something you can pick up and then put down. This is a 24-7 uh, commitment, and I really, really do take my hat off to, to anyone and everyone who's... Um, Who's been uh, who, who's doing that? Um, I think it's a profoundly important, a profoundly significant um, thing uh, to do. And I do think kindness is a key word for our time, and hospitality is a key expression of kindness that we need to take very seriously. I loved that definition, Claire, that you gave of hospitality: inexplicable love for the other inexplicable love for the other. And this surely is the key point, isn't it? That is exactly what our God shows for us, an inexplicable love for the other. And, and if he shows that for us, then we must show that for other people. That's why this is a gospel issue. Our God shows us inexplicable love. And so we must too. This is not optional. As Claire said, you know, the, the, the way we express uh, inexplicable love for the other will will vary. There are various different ways in which we can we can get involved uh, in this. Fostering and adoption isn't going to be for isn't going to be for everyone, but it is not optional for us not to show inexplicable love for the other. Uh, the challenge for each of us and all of us is to work out exactly what that's going to mean um, in our in our own lives. But when our God has showed us inexplicable love, we have to show that to others. And I think the work that Home for Good are doing and the work of fostering and adoption is just a magnificent way of doing that. We, if you're a Christian sitting here today, you are an adopted child of God. And, and we thank him and we praise him for our adoption. Um, let us commit ourselves deeply to that inexplicable love for the other and to, to support the work of adoption and fostering, however we might be able to do that. Thanks very much. Thank you. Um, I'm really willing to take questions. I don't know if anyone does have any, but I am also going to be on the stand all day. So if there are any burning questions now, I'm really happy to take them. 
Otherwise, do come and chat to me. I'm there all day today and all day tomorrow. Um, thank you so much for being here. Um, can I pray for us before we go? Yeah. Our oh, Lord, I thank you so much that um, people chose to be here this morning, first thing in the morning, uh, to come and hear about your heart for the most vulnerable children in our society. And Lord, I thank you for the adopters that are here. And I thank you for their beautiful children. I thank you that we love because we know that you love us. And Lord, I pray that you would challenge us in our churches to move closer to being communities of radical hospitality. Yeah. And Lord, I thank you. Yeah. I, I thank you so much for people being here and the opportunity to share this message this morning. Amen. Thank you, everyone.